Oh my god, I'm heartily sorry, for I have offended the productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com presents Views from the Long Box for June 26th, 2007. Episode 2. hairstyle. I mean, if anything, my, my hairstyle is akin to kind of like Burt Ward from the old Batman TV series, and you think that would be something that a, a stylist could look at and say, oh, that, that's, that should be pretty easy. It's not like I, I don't use product in my hair or anything like that, so why can't... Anyway. Oh! Hey! Uh, how y'all doing? Sorry about that. Didn't mean to go off on my hair. I just got a really bad haircut today, so it's kind of weighing on my mind. I got it after I left work. I, my hair was getting a little out of control. My hair doesn't grow down. It grows out. And it's very thick. So in the summertime when it's hot, it's very annoying. But every time I go to this place, they give me the worst haircut on the face of the planet. And, you know, it's varying degrees of bad. It's never like it's ever good. So, and you th think, you know, with a place like that, that's kind of one of those cookie-cutter hairstylists uh, establishments that getting a decent haircut wouldn't be a complicated uh, process, but apparently it is. Anyways, welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, here to waste another 20 to 30 minutes of your time talking about the four-colored world of comic books. This week I'm speaking to you from a brand new headset microphone thingy. I picked it up a couple days ago, actually for another purpose. Uh, in addition to doing this podcast, I take part in the podcast put on by The Unique Geek, located at theuniquegeek.com. I'm on their listserv, uh, got to be decent buddies with most of the people there, So, and we talk through Skype. So I got a headset because, my, you know, speaking into the microphone was getting kind of annoying. But I figured I could use it here, too. This is episode two, titled The Two That Started It All. And already I'm kind of regretting that. I didn't realize that when I bumped the original concept that I had for this episode, which was to follow up the Marvel themed episode from last week with a DC themed week this week but I figured two weeks of wall to wall music would probably get a little annoying and I'm trying not to repeat myself too much but I didn't realize that when I bumped this up the the line that I would have an episode 2 and a title with the letter 2 in it kind of makes me sound you know, one of, like one of Harvey Dent's thugs that got pinched by the Batman and did a dime at Blackgate and now I'm out on my own and I can't really think of my own 
you know, theme to go with. It wasn't that at all, and, and it doesn't really help that this is actually the second version of this episode. A couple days ago, I, I recorded uh, a full 30 minutes of material and hated every second of it. It really wasn't all that good, so I kind of scrapped that. And this is, this is the re-recording of it, which is why I'm doing it a little later than I usually do. Uh, be that as it may, uh, we do have kind of a full episode this week. Uh, first segment uh, involves us jumping into the Wayback Machine and looking at the two books, you know, the two that started it all, uh, the two books that are directly responsible for making me into the comic fan I am today. Uh, and then we have some quick and dirty reviews. Uh, quick announcement before we do any of that. Um, in the Zero episode, I had announced that one of the semi-ongoing features of this show would be a World War Hulk debrief, but in recording the first version of this episode, I really don't think it's going to work. It was it, it was boring. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I rambled on for like a good five minutes, and I bored myself. And I'm usually really interested in what I have to say, so... Yeah, if I bore myself, it's pretty bad. So, no World War Hulk debrief as far as the podcast is concerned. I may do it as part of the blog, but given all of the other things that I do on a, on a regular basis, that might not happen either. I'm really trying to get to the point where I can get some original material on the blog. But, uh, you know, so far it's it's been work and various other things, plus, you know, trying to spend time with my wife and my dog, who I love. So, let's get into it. This is actually the first week where I've had to think about the sound effect that I was going to use during the scene transitions. And, uh, at first, I, I honestly thought of using the Super Friends scene transition sound that I believe just about every diehard comic book fan who lived during the 70s and 80s, you know, now has on their hard drive. You know, whether they just have it there as a sound that they play every once in a while, or you know, maybe they use it to, you know, indicate that they've opened a program, or that their battery is running low, or that AOL is signing off, or whatever people do with their computers. Um, I thought about using it, and then I was like, you know what? A lot of other podcasts use that, and it's it's not an indictment of those podcasts because I'll use it eventually. But just to shake things up a, the, a bit for this episode, I figured, hey, why not use the Spider-Man and his amazing friends scene transition sound? So, there you go. Oh, Which is actually kind of ironic, because the two books that I'm talking about today are actually DC books. So you figured the Super Friends sound would be a little more you know, appropriate, but it's not happening today. Anyway, a couple months ago, I realized that at some point between the end of May and the beginning of June 20 years ago in 1987 I started collecting comics as a going concern. I'll never I know exact I can pinpoint exactly when it happened. I can't tell you the exact date, which is probably one of the last times that'll ever happen with me, you know, in that 20 years, but I can tell you where I was and what I was doing and all that kind of fun stuff. I was 11 at the time. And that's kind of, you know, for, for some people, kind of a late start in getting to being a comic book fan. 
But, you know, I, I just wasn't one of those people that was reading comic books in the womb. I, I didn't have a, a kindly uncle or an older brother or a dad or a grandfather that, that read comics when they were kids and kind of passed that love on to the next generation. I had a friend, you know, in, the, in those early years, uh, you know, who read comics, but he, he only read one. Uh, he read Transformers. And he, he, he gave me a few extra, you know, the extra issues he had of it, and I enjoyed it. But, but it wasn't until 87 where everything clicked, where I became, you know, the, the die-hard comic book fan that I am today. I haven't consistently collected. There have been a few months where, due to financial reasons or, you know, like when I was younger and was kind of a lazy student and got poor grades at times my father would take them away from me and actually he would he would take away he would take them away from me and he would put them in the attic which to a certain extent isn't really all that bad because well for two reasons one it would always be during like the fall and winter when these when these bad grades would happen it seems and the the best thing you know for comic books especially handled by a teenager uh, the best thing for comic books is to be put into a dark, cold place for an extended period of time. It's why most of those books are still in rather good condition now. Uh, you know, despite my early ham-fisted, you know, treat treatment of my my comic books. And the other thing is, the attic where he put them was right next to my bedroom. And you know, it's, it always seems kind of silly now to think about it that you know. He thought Dad would have been a little more clever than that. It's like, you know, when he wasn't there, I was up there reading comic books. I would bring them down. I would hide them under the bed. I was responsible for cleaning my room, so as far as I know, he never found that out. And when I would go hang out with my friends, or, you know, even my sisters would help me out, I'd go out and get new books. So, uh, aside from the periods where I, I couldn't do that, or couldn't afford to do that, uh, you know, I, I've been, you know, a regular voracious consumer of comic books. But it wasn't always like that. How's that for a, a transition into the actual story? Yeah, I think it's kind of weak myself. Anyways, it wasn't always like that. In fact, uh, when I first learned to read, I wasn't all that much interested in it. I'm not. Again, I'm not one of these people that learned to read and then discovered books as a doorway into a world of adventure and excitement or whatever propaganda they teach you during the Book It program where you, you read like five books a month and you get a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut or something like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, to me, at the time, reading was just, you know, taking away from time where I could be playing with my friends or going outside or, you know, watching TV or playing with my action figures. And I, I just wasn't interested, which is completely different now. I, I If I'm without something to read now, it, it's a very bad scene. But because of this, trips to the school library were rather infuriatingly boring. I, you know, when I was in grade school, uh, my family and I, my family being my two parents and my three older sisters, who I'm sure I'll talk about as the weeks go on, as they relate to comic books. Um, we lived in a small town called Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, which was located right above Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, which is nestled in the northeastern portion of that state. And right down the street from where we lived was Fairview Elementary School, 
where if you were a kid living in that area from kindergarten to seventh grade, you went to Fairview and then you went to Crestwood, you know, in eighth to senior year. And we moved there when I was in the first grade, and that's around the time that I learned how to read, and thus the time where they started taking us to the library on a weekly or bi-weekly. I forget how often we went. But I didn't like it. You know, walking into a library is now a lot like me walking to a store that sells, you know, golf equipment. You know, it's like, wow, I understand how all this works. I have absolutely no interest in it. So going to the library was kind of a pain in the ass when you really think about it. Okay, there seemed to be nothing there. They they had... I remember they had the novelization of The Empire Strikes Back, but even that is just like, you know, why don't I just watch the movie? And it was on one of those trips, and I don't know exactly when. I'm going to say it was probably sometime in 1983 that I found the two books that would lead me to becoming a fan of comic books. Now, I'd always been a fan of superheroes. I think I've mentioned that before. Always liked the cartoons. Always liked the shows. Always liked, you know, the Incredible Hulk and the Christopher Reeve Superman films. But the comics never grabbed me. Until one day in the library, I found two books both with very similar names. There was Batman from the 30s to the 70s and Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Both books were put out in 1971 by Crown Publishing and they were thick, hardbound collections of Batman and Superman comics respectively. And while that doesn't seem like a big deal today when you can go into Barnes and Nobles or Borders, or even your local comic shop and pick up a few trades, or even go online to places like Amazon, who has trades really cheap, and even Walmart.com has cheap trades, and even stores that specialize it, like in stock trades. You know, when, when you can do that so regularly now, it really makes you not realize that at one point, finding something like this was exciting. And to me, finding them in the library was almost exactly what I needed. Because, you know, like like I said, nothing else was interesting to me. But I liked Batman. I liked Batman a lot. I was, I, at the time, I was even more of a fan of Batman than I was of Superman, which would change some years later. And that is why I am led to think that I took the Batman volume out first. And when I read that thing, it was it was amazing. It's an amazing thing to read. It really is. Even today, looking at it, this book. If if this book was my gateway drug into comic books, it's not like I started something on something light. I hit the ground running with crack from almost the beginning because this book has right away first story. Case of the Chemical Syndicate, first appearance of Batman in Detective Comics number 27. And after an early solo tale, it goes right into all of the key moments in the character's history. First appearance of Robin. First appearance of Joker. First appearance of the Riddler. 
the origin of Batman, where you see his parents gunned down. The origin of the Batcave, where Bruce Wayne discovers this cavern beneath the farmhouse out back of Wayne Manor and decides to make this his headquarters. There's even a story in the in the 40s section where Batman is teaching criminology and comes across uh, the case of the Red Hood, which was one that he never solved. And this is where you find out that the Red Hood was the Joker. And then it goes into the Batman family years, where they tried to kind of make him look more of a respectable figure, giving him pseudo-romances with uh, you know, Batwoman, Kathy Kane, and her niece... Betty Kane, Bat, you know, it was Batgirl with the hyphen that was brought in as kind of a love interest for Robin, even though he he just wasn't that into her. And he had Batmite, and he had the Bathound, and even an imaginary story where Alfred is telling the tale of, of Kathy and Bruce's supposed son who took up the mantle of Robin uh, to Dick Grayson's Batman. And then... After that, you have the million-dollar debut of Batgirl, which introduced Barbara Gordon into the canon. And the stories after that, you know, you, you have you know the one where Dick Grayson leaves for college, and Batman goes uh, to living in the penthouse, and having the Batcave underneath the uh, the building that his penthouse was located in, and some of the, even the darker stories like the Demon of Gothos mansion and the secret of the waiting graves these were amazing stories to read as your first batman in the comics after reading that i went after the superman volume and it's different from the batman book but only in they really when they chose the stories for this one it wasn't as you know dead on as the batman book but you still had pivotal moments in the character's career. The first story was Superman was from Superman number one, which served as kind of a director's cut of Action Comics number one and two. You had one of the early appearances of Lex Luthor. You had, you know, Superman fighting saboteurs and participating in the war effort, which you had the, you know, Hal Lois met Clark Kent, which was a Superboy story after they got Superboy going. And, or, uh, you know, the first appearance of Jimmy Olsen's in there. And they kind of capped the 40s off with the origin of Superman, which was much longer than the origin of Batman, which was like a two-pager. This was a, I believe, a you know almost a full-issue epic. And then you get into the 60s, you know, and the 50s, where you had the terrible trio of Luther, Toyman, and Prankster teaming up. Yeah, the introduction of the Bizarro World. And they spent a lot of time in this book talking, uh, you know, reprinting Bizarro stories. But they were still good. And when you're a kid and you're learning all these things and reading about these stories, you feel like, wow, I, I'm seeing where it all began. And, uh, you know, after a couple more Bizarro stories and a Superboy tale showing his first day on the job they go into the 70s where the books really changed and they had the Denny O'Neill classic uh, Kryptonite No More where all the Kryptonite on Earth was turned into iron by this bizarre chain reaction and Superman lost half of his powers and I think that lasted you know all of like 
you know, four or five issues. But you also had Superman, you're dead, 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 which told the story of Superman getting sucked to an alternate reality where other versions of him have died trying to prevent a particular disaster. And then they kind of end the whole thing uh, with a story of the people of Kandor, which is kind of a weak way to end the book. But, uh, you know, it, it still had a profound effect on me. And it's not like after that I started, you know, going to the, you know, the spinner rack and buying a particular title month after month. My collecting until 1987 was rather spotty. But the foundation was laid with these two books to make me the comic fan I am today. I mean, I like the old stuff. I have a f great appreciation for the comics of the Golden and Silver Age. Don't always like them, but I appreciate them. I also have a sense of history where these characters came from, and it's why you know, the multiverse never really threw me because I just, you know, understood, well, this is the Golden Age Superman, this is the Modern Age Superman, both stories happened, it just happened on different Earths. Also, it gave me an appreciation for comic book history in general. Both of these volumes had introductions by a man named E. Nelson Bridwell, who was an editor in DC Comics and actually was one of the first fans turned pro. And he laid out the history of the characters and how they were created or at least the stories uh, of the time and, and even talked about the Superman musical which I was just not aware of so all of the books I currently have sitting on my shelf that have to do with the history of the medium can all be uh, tied directly back here back to these two books you know it, it, it may seem kind of silly you know, to, uh, you know, and I may be making a lot more of these two books than they really are. But to me, a as a comic book fan, there are no two books sitting in with my other trades right now that are as important to me. I actually found them, uh, both of them, a couple years ago on eBay. And I sat down when I got them and read them. And the funny thing is, is that even though it's been years since I started collecting and of all the thousands of comic books that I've read since these two still have that sense of wonder that those first comics should have on somebody who eventually becomes as much of a fan as I am Alright, enough of the past. Let's get into the present with some quick and dirty reviews. Keeping in mind that there's about a week's difference from when I record this, and when you hear it, here are the quick and dirty reviews for episode 2. First up is countdown number 46. Still haven't really decided how I feel about this book, but so far it's been good. The Jimmy Olsen story progressed a little further this week and even brought back a character named Sleaze, who uh, John Byrne, I think, created about 20 years ago in the pages of Action Comics and even referenced a, uh, a 1990 or 1991 Superman story, which really surprised me. More than that, it, it kind of reminded me how connected Jimmy Olsen was with the New Gods, and it has the 
the book has the history of the multiverse back back up by Dan Jurgens, and that has been a delight since the beginning. Next up is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man to- number 21. I am predisposed to liking Peter David books, uh, especially when teamed with Todd Nyack as he is here. I loved their work together on Young Justice and the and their the stuff they've been producing for Spider-Man has been amazing. This continued the Arrow storyline and had some really f- funny moments. But more than that, it had a, a confrontation between Robbie Robertson and uh, J. Jonah Jameson, which uh, looks to have some far-reaching uh, effects. Next up is Justice number 12, wrapping up that bi-monthly maxi-series. And my god, has it really been two years since this all started? Uh, really fun wrap-up. Not the big explosive ending I was expecting, but Ross and and Kruger threw in enough uh, Easter eggs and such to to really make me enjoy the book. I'm kind of sad to see it go, especially with the artwork being as amazing as, as it's been. And lastly, we have Avengers Classic number one, which is not only reprinting Avengers from issue number one until today, maybe, but also having some original stuff like the old X-Men classic. Uh, while the Avengers story was a bit interesting, uh, and I say interesting in that, wow, Stanley really threw a lot of words into those old comics, didn't he? Uh, this series, like X-Men Classic, is worth it for the backup features this month. Dwayne McDuffie and Michael Avon Oming uh, produced a little story about the one of the early official meetings of the Avengers that was just hilarious and had some great Hulk moments. And there was a little uh, Stan Lee written piece with art by Kevin McGuire in the back that w- was amusing as well. And those are your quick and dirty reviews for this week. Let's uh, let's get on to the podcast slash blog slash website pick of the week. This week's uh, podcast pick of the week it comes, by the way, of Chicago. It's a show called Word Balloon. It's actually the first podcast I ever listened to on a regular basis. It's hosted by a guy named John Suntress, who is a sports reporter by day, and in his spare time interviews comic book writers, artists, and editors. And if you're a fan of knowing the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes behind maybe some of your favorite stories, or you're just interested in that kind of thing in general, this is really the show for you. I, in addition to learning little things about, you know, very well-known stories or well-known runs on books, John will let you get the know the creator a little bit by talking about things uh, not having to do with comics. Like his interview for with Howard Chaykin, for instance, they spend just as much time talking about the television shows that Howard Chaykin and John like as they do about comics, and it's still all it's still all interesting, and you learn a lot about the people that he's interviewing. You can find the link to uh, the blog for Word Balloon on the Views blog. Uh, also, if you are a fan of Newsarama, you may notice that Word Balloon is actually now kind of being put out through News in association with Newsarama. Uh, so, what I suggest is, if you want to give it a shot, look at the blog, uh, maybe pick out a creator that you like, listen to the interview, and if you like that, go back for more. It's really worth your hard drive space.
And that is all of me for this week. As usual at this time, I ask you to head on over to the official blog for the show at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com. There you can get to the RSS feed for the show. You can subscribe to Views through iTunes. You can check out the MySpace page, the Comic Space page. Um, also, at some point, I swear to God, I'll get some original material up there. Also, as always, check out MediaGauntlet.com, the people crazy enough to host me. The next episode will be up on July 3rd, 2007, and it's going to be the Independence Day special uh, showcasing my favorite patriotic hero. And uh, if you want to drop me an email, you can do that at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com. Views from the Longbox is an Oh My God, I'm Heartily Sorry for I Have Offended the production in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. See you next week. Dr. Erskine is dead, and his formula died with him, so there can be no more like me. But I will champion the fight for freedom and justice wherever tyranny reigns. <laughs>